Pastor Xavier Reese advises counting the cost before picking up your cross. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. When men went to the cross, they, they never came back. That's what the cross means. It's not a nifty, pretty little ornament that we get to shine up and put around our neck. It's not the biblical definition of the cross. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This affirmation of Paul found in Galatians 2 suggests a life with Christ at the center rather than a pursuit of self-interests. And this is the example the imprisoned apostle set for his brother in Christ, Philemon, when making an appeal for the restoration for runaway slave Onesimus. Pastor Xavier continues now our verse-by-verse study of Paul's epistle to Philemon. Let's listen. Paul the apostle has been making his intercession for Onesimus to Philemon, And now, the personal plea of Paul to Philemon regarding Onesimus comes to the end. As the apostle expresses his personal assurance regarding the reconciliation of master and slave, and is evident by three things. Let me read here verse 21 and 22. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more then I say, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. The apostle's assurance regarding the reconciliation of Philemon with Onesimus here, master and slave, is evident by the following. First, verse 21, Paul was assured Philemon would do what was right in the Lord. Secondly, in verse 22, the first half, Paul was assured Philemon would be hospitable to him. And then the rest of 22, Paul was assured that prayers would result in his release. The apostle Paul was quite a man. In view of where he's at, in view of what he's doing, and all able to be done in view of knowing his call. I think often we get confused in what we're to do and how we're to do it because we forget what we're called to be. We're called to be Christ-like. And so often the circumstances, the situation, or emotions takes the place of that. And therefore our decisions are made much like most people today in the world. Nothing's based on fact. It's all based on emotion. It's all based on feeling. Facts only confuse the issue. (laughs) And so Paul was assured Philemon would do what was right in the Lord, very assured. Notice here the apostle in verse 21 was fully convinced Philemon would deal properly with Onesimus having confidence in your obedience. The phrase having confidence is one Greek word. 
The word means to be persuaded. Paul uses it for his confidence in Jesus. Listen in 2 Timothy 1.2. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Confident steadfastness, stick to itness, <laughs> unwaveringness would be good translations. The tense is in the perfect participle, presently active here. This was Paul's firm and settled persuasion. This persuasion was not based on feelings again, emotions or anything that was elusive, but on all that Epaphras and Onesimus had informed him. He was making decisions and making his plea and coming to conclusions based on the facts of what Onesimus had done, on what Epaphras had told him, and then he was counting on what he knew about the character of his friend, Philemon, a godly man. And based on those things as facts, he could come to a settled conclusion. You understand? The obedience of Philemon, notice, was to be in the Lord alone. Nothing else. Paul had not commanded anything of Philemon. So it's kind of strange that the commentators really take off here on the command. <laughs> but Paul hasn't commanded anything. <laughs> In verse 8, Paul had told Philemon he was not commanding him. He wasn't using his apostolic authority, though he was Paul the aged. In verse 9, Paul was presenting his plea for Onesimus out of love. In verse 10, Paul pointed out Onesimus was his spiritual son begotten in his chains. And so Paul had asked Philemon to refresh his heart in the Lord. Remember last time? Look at verse 20 at the end. That's where we left off. Refresh my heart in the Lord. So the conference that Paul has regarding Philemon is that Philemon would do the right thing in the Lord. You understand? And this is the difficulty many times in people's lives, that they don't want to do what's right in the Lord. They want to do what is right regarding themselves or what they feel is fair or what they feel is just. Listen to me. If you want what's fair and what is just, go back in the world. You and I are to do what is fit and appropriate in the Lord. Notice that when he said to refresh his heart in the Lord, it was by receiving Onesimus as his own heart in verse 12. For he was really sending part of himself back. That's a spiritual son. In verse 14, by his decision, being his own free will. That's how he would refresh his heart. That he wasn't pressuring him. Verse 16, by receiving Onesimus not only as a slave, but more than a slave, as a brother. That would refresh his heart. 
And then in verse 17, by receiving Onesimus as a partner in ministry, as he did Paul, that would refresh his heart. All of this was obedience to the Lord. You understand? The word obedience has the idea of hearing and heeding. In other words, listening and responding to what one hears and knows to be right. It's used of obedience to God in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, as believers. It's used for bringing our thoughts into captivity in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Is used for children to obey their parents in Ephesians 6 1 and Colossians 3 20. How often, as parents, we say, Did you not hear me? They heard. Hearing has to do with those three little bones working and sending the messages. Listening is responding to pay heed. Philemon's obedience would be solely to the will of God as revealed in his word. And so my obedience is to be to the Lord and as unto the Lord to do his complete will, regardless of what anybody else wants to do. For I serve the Lord myself, and I am responsible to him and him alone for my actions and what I do. Whatever Philemon would do, he would do it as unto the Lord. And that's why God would honor it. There are times when people do something for others and the people rip them off. But if they do it as unto the Lord, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them. And God honors the heart. You understand? Notice the Apostle Paul was more convinced that Philemon would do above and beyond what he requested for Onesimus. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. The apostle, again, having confidence in Philemon's obedience, he was writing to Philemon. He's going to send this letter off. The verb I write, grapple, I get graphite from it, is in the, once again, epistolary errors that we have noted before. The tense is indicative of a writer putting himself at the point of time when the recipient is reading the letter, as we saw in verse 12, I am sending him. In verse 19, I am writing. His intent is purposeful. His intent is confident. His intent is having been refreshed before the thing even takes place. You understand? It's based on his sure confidence in the obedience of this saint as God is working through him. 
And so the apostle's confidence in the obedience of Philemon gave him greater assurance that he would do more for Onesimus than he had expressed. You know, it's like if you know somebody and they need, say they need something, they need to borrow a handful of tie clips or something, you know, and you send his, go down to John. No, 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 go down to Jim. Because, you know, if he goes to John, he's going to say, how many do you need? And he's going to go, one, two. You need three? Here's three. But if you send to Jim, he'll go, here, reach in, grab a handful. Take whatever you need. You understand? There's a difference. He, he knew this man. He knew that he would not only do what is right, but he would overflow in the goodness towards Onesimus. That's a great confidence when you walk with people like that, when you know Christians like that, that when something is needed, you go, you know, I know the man I can call. I know the person I can count on. I know I can give him this task and I don't have to worry about it. I know it'll be done far exceedingly above anything I could even ask them to do. <laughs> They'll do it. People of character, people of commitment to the Lord, not to me, not to a man, not to a church, not to an organization, but to the Lord. Now, some have read far too much into these words and are no more than speculation. Some have concluded that Paul meant that Philemon would in fact send Onesimus back to serve under Paul, but that makes no sense since Paul was expecting to be released as the next verse will tell us. And that's why I tell you to do good in Dr. Bible study. So when you go to the commentary, you can put no next to the person's words, or, or you can uh, put a big circle and a slash, or, or whatever you want. If you walk in my library and pull books off, they're all marked up. You do your study, then you go to the commentary, and, and you still can learn some things, and you do learn, but, but now you go there to judge if what this man has said about the text is true to the text or not. You've done your homework. Very important. Others have stated that Paul is insinuating that Philemon would make Onesimus a free man. Nonsense. That's read into the text. There's nothing in here that would even give us that idea. So they interpret what is there in verse 21 knowing that you will do even more than I say subjectively. Well, it's an opinion. It's speculation. We don't know. But the one thing we can be sure of is that Paul knew Philemon's character of being loving, benevolent, as a brother to the saints. So he knew Philemon would not only resolve the reconciliation with Onesimus and be a blessing to refresh his heart, but even beyond that, as he had done to the other saints in verse 5 through 7. Because now Onesimus is one of the saints, and he would be totally inconsistent to do it to those who he was around, but not to the one who had just come to Christ. 
So Paul is counting on the character of this man as a Christian that is not going to make decisions based on his emotions, his feeling, or his fickleness, nor his thin skin. <laughs> I can't believe those guys over there. They, I've gone there two Sundays. No one said hi to me. And we get so upset over the dumbest things as people are going to hell. And we're worried about somebody saying hi to us. It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. We should say hi to you. And shame on us if we don't. But let's grow up. <laughs> People are going to hell. And there's a few more important things that people say hi. It's like when um, Ruth came back from the fields of Boaz. And he had um, promised that he would redeem Ruth and her land. And Ruth demonstrated to Naomi, his, her mother-in-law, all the harvest she came back with. And she told her all that was going on. And listen to what Naomi said about Boaz, because she knew his character. Boaz, Ruth 3.18. Then she, Naomi, said, Sit still, my daughter, speaking to Ruth, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. She knew this man was a man of character and he would do all that he could and that the law allowed him to do to redeem, to do what's right. What a joy it is for a pastor to teach the word of God and be confident that the people will hear, learn, and apply it to the situations of their lives. It's a joy. It's like being a parent. You see your children grow up and you see them make the right decisions. You see them being productive. It's a joy, but if they're irresponsible, they're takers, they're lazy slugs, it's a weight, it's a burden. The goal is obedience, growth. Transformation from simple obedience to the Lord in prayer and in study of the word, which is a great start and you never leave it. <laughs> to uncomfortable things of confronting a sinning brother. When I hear somebody doing things like that, I pray for them and then I rejoice that they're obedient to God do things like that because not many in the church of Jesus Christ do that today. The rule in the church today is how little can I do and still be in the kingdom and how much can I get away with while still being in the yard? <laughs> the body of Christ, the church, is to be the visible evidence of the power of the living God through its various members. Ephesians 4.1 says, walking worthy of our calling. Nobody's perfect. I, your pastor, am the first to let you that know. Know you that. I'm not perfect. I blow it like you, but we're to walk worthy of our calling. We're to do the best we can. We're to strive. We're to go forward. Very important. 
We're to walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, Ephesians 5, 2 says. And so he's our example. As he has given himself for us, we give ourselves for each other. Something that pleases him. This is not only when it's convenient, but this is when it's inconvenient. That's when the sacrifice of love comes in. That's when the sweet-smelling aroma reaches God's nose. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, Walking circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, if they were evil in the days of Paul, what should we say about today? Um, it is amazing how fast our society is sliding, let alone the world, in uh, absolute right and wrong, in uh, a philosophy of relativism, uh, um, situational ethics. What's right for you may not be right for me, and you have no right to judge me because no one can ex really judge my experience because it's an existential uh, experience, and therefore, as an existentialist, I can only experience my experience, and the only truth about that experience is valid by me. And so, therefore, it is unique, and everybody has to butt out of that experience. And it's true to me. And um, it really is, it sounds intellectual, but it's really asinine. If you really consider the words of some of these philosophies, I dare them to drive our streets with the same philosophy when it comes to a red light or yellow light and a green light or an off-ramp, the freeway. It says 30 miles an hour. Ah, take it at 100. Don't matter. See what happens. It's all relative. It's very selective, the relativism. It's all relative to the benefit of self to running one's course any way one desires at the expense of anybody but yourself. That's the philosophy that goes today. Walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sin, 1 John 1, 7. And so we stay on track. We keep our account short. We, uh, we live a life of repentance constantly. Uh, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't repent, whether it's an attitude and word or deed, something. Practicing the crucified life by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit over our lives, Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. When men went to the cross, they, they never came back. They, um, they took nothing with them, and um, they usually were crucified naked to their own shame. That's what the cross means. It's not a nifty, pretty little ornament that we get to shine up and put around our neck. <laughs> it's a modern uh, terminology and understanding. It's not the biblical definition of the cross. And so Paul was a, a sure Philemon would do what was right in the Lord. That applies to you. That applies to me. When people are present, when people are not, I'm to do what's right in the Lord.
Pastor Xavier Reese, using the example of the imprisoned Paul as a model for us in living the crucified life, just as he was an example to Philemon. Now, there's much more to this Simple Truth study to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply Paul's Sure Hope. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Paul's Sure Hope, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com